We turn our attention now to God's Word, Romans 6:15 to 23. You know, even the Apostle Peter in the book of Peter talks about some of the things Paul writes are hard to understand. This is one of those passages. I'm going to read it a little bit slow. The sentence structure is kind of tough, but the message is life-changing, and the last verse ends with the word gift, gift. And you saw that that young man, uh, what a yo-yo meant to him. Well, just listen. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of the Lord. So no pressure here, right? (laughs) Too much of your relief. I buttoned my shirt correctly. Start at the top, work the way down. Um, There are many identities that were given in Scripture that I love relating to. Being a child of God, can totally grasp that. Uh, Being a co-heir with Christ, man, name it, claim it. Yes, let's get it. And then there's sheep. Kind of insulting. I feel a little dumb. I have sheep and slash goats, and they are dumb. Uh, but I understand that picture a little bit better. Here, when I read this passage, it calls us slaves of God. I don't like this identity. As an American, I revolt against this idea. Land of the free, home of the brave, hoorah. Like we ended this. Um... But this passage here confronts the very concept of slavery. Now, when I thought I was going to initially study this passage, I thought, you know, there's only like three or four passages in the New Testament that talk about slavery. When I look up the word in Greek, there's one word in Greek for slave. It's doulos. I thought five, maybe ten times in the New Testament be used. There's 150 times in the New Testament alone. When you look at servants, bond servants, that word servants, 
There's actually six or seven different Greek words for that. But over and over again, 150 times, it's the word slave. When I looked at the Old Testament, I would have thought maybe 20, 30 times in the Old Testament, it talks about slavery. No, probably a lot in the law. Maybe 100, 120, I don't know. 1,100 times it talks about slavery. For context, there's just over 300 Messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. Three times more than that, he uses the word slavery. If you look at King James in the Old Testament, there's one time it's used, the word slavery. If you look at 22 different English translations, there's only one that uses the word slavery consistently. And it's one I've, I'd never heard of before. Um, so when, if we disregard these verses about slavery and this idea of being enslaved to God, we're missing out on a, the transformational power that exists in our relationship with God. In fact, there's very two very distinct warnings that this passage uh, scripture gives us about this slavery. In Second Peter two, he says, "But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master, slave owner, who bought them." bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So what's that destructive heresy? Denying the master? And inherit in that, inherit in that, is that we're slaves. And what's the result? Swift destruction. Jude echoes a very similar thought. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. I love verses that say, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Yes, live it up. And I will accept the ones that say, all things are permissible. Maybe not beneficial, but all things are permissible. I like that but that's perverting the grace of God. Paul, Peter, James, John, Jude, almost all of the New Testament authors all refer to themselves as slaves. When you read bondservants, when you read servants, it's doulos, slave. There's one word. So as we look at this passage in Romans 6, we have to first realize that we're all slaves to what controls us. We're slaves to what control us, either to sin or to God. Romans 6, 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? You're slaves to what controls you. Voluntarily, or involuntarily, consciously, or subconsciously. The Bible points out enslavement to many things. One, addictions, pornography, alcohol, drugs, gambling. How much that destroys our lives, the time, 
the money, the resources, the relationships get shattered, which lead to death. Being slaves to the law or perfectionism. It's so much easier to have your check marks than it is to have a relationship. But when the governing laws fail to uphold the law of God, by what metric do you measure yourself by? Relationships are much more difficult to measure than the law is. We're slaves to the lies and deceit that tell us you're not good enough. You're too little. Um, you're not strong enough. You're not influential enough. And those lies hold us captive. These sins that enslave us most certainly lead to death. But with Christians, it says we're slaves to God. And this is critical in the foundational parts of our identity. I had a lot of misconceptions about this passage because I always read it as slaves to sin and slave to good works. When it was slaves to sin, I could grasp that a little bit. I saw the addictions playing out in my own life and the destruction that came from it. But then I thought the opposite was slave to good works. And I certainly didn't get that. Because, mm, does that just mean I don't say bad words? I don't drink. I don't go dancing. I don't play cards. I don't gamble. And I just sit here and be quiet and shut up and welcome to being a good person. This is Christianity. And it's like, how limp is that? That's not what this says. So look at these terms. Let's just read Romans 6 a little bit more. Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. This is about relationship. This is about your position before the king and before the master. You are saved by grace alone. That grace is an exalted position. Jesus says that you are seated with him in the heavenly realms. That being with him, that prize that you get is relational. And it says we're slaves to righteousness. Righteousness comes by faith alone. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But faith, if you rephrase it, is trust. You're enslaved to a trusting relationship with God. And the end of that is eternal life. Eternal life starts now by knowing and experiencing him. It doesn't start in the future. It starts now if you have that trust. So what does it look like to be a slave to God? Here's the, there's 150 references, so buckle up. Uh, of those, I want to start with the stark reality because we don't understand slavery. Okay? We don't get that concept. So one, we were bought at a price. We have to realize that we are purchased. And two, we have to trust and obey the master with fear and trembling because they hold life and death in their hands. 
Alright? The, even in the Bible, Paul exhorts the slaves to obey your masters with fear and trembling. He also exhorts the Christians to obey your master in heaven with fear and trembling, working out your salvation. So what I want to do is go through three parables briefly. I'll let you know that Matthew has 23 parables. Five of them were slaves. Five of the 23, that's over 20% of those, you're slaves. I'm a slave. It's a big portion. So that's one for each day of the week, actually, if you want to think about it. So the first one we're going to look at is the parable of the vineyard in Matthew 21, verses 33 through 36. You're familiar with the, the parable, but it says, When the season of fruits drew near, he sent his slaves to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves more than the first. And they did the same to them. The slaves obeyed the master. Do you think they knew what was going to happen to them? Because they talk. They're going into death. They're going into persecution. They're going into destruction. And they knew it and they still obeyed. Because you know what? That master has power over life and death for his slaves. Because he purchased them. That's the same for us. The other parable is the parable of the wedding in Matthew 22. Again, you have the master who's having this feast for his son, this prince. And he sends out his slaves to go invite everybody. This is what happens. Again, he sent out other slaves saying, tell those who are invited, come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention. And they went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, treated them shamefully, and killed them. That's two of the five. The slaves obediently went and invited the guests and gave them good news. Come to the feast. Come to the wedding. They were seized, ignored, treated shamefully, killed. Both passages, multiple slaves sent out, all treated harshly. This applies to us too. We have workplaces. We're called to tell the truth. We have schools that we go to. We're commanded to tell the truth. How do you get treated? A decade ago, I would have said it was a pretty common stance. Everyone would be on the same page. It's rapidly going in the other direction. Are you prepared as slaves of God to face those reactions? Because life and death is in the master's hands. This week, you can look at the other three parables. There's the parable of the unmerciful servant, Matthew 18. There's the faithful and unfaithful slave in Matthew 24. There's the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. All deal with similar subjects. But this is what I want to dwell in. It's from Luke. Chapter 12, verses 35 through 40. It says this, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Ready at once when they hear the master knock. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he, 
the master, will dress himself for service and have them, the slaves, recline at the table. And he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those slaves. What does it look like to be a slave of God? You stay dressed for action. Does that just mean you wear your pressed shirt, pressed pants, everything's nice and starched, top buttons done correctly? It's normally a metaphor for clothing yourself in righteousness and right living. Okay? Uh, when I started preparing for this, I tried reading Uncle Tom's Cabin. I got most of the way through. There's still some progress made on it, though. Uncle Tom the main slave, this head slave. He's described more often that he was a trusted slave who could go to the north, do his master's bidding, and come back with the exact amount that he's supposed to. And he was trusted with hundreds of dollars. That's how he's described. And there's many slaves like that described. Why does Uncle Tom get traded? Uncle Tom gets traded because he was worth more than the entire house and every other slave because he was a trusted slave and the owner was in debt. A trusted slave is worth more than the estate and everything else. That gives you a picture of the gospel. God sees you that way. You keep your lamps burning. That means to be filled with that Holy Spirit. You keep that replenished. You let that simmer. You go in the presence of God. You ask for it. You spend time in that word. You worship. You give thanks. You sing. However you want to worship, you do it in spirit and in truth. But that's how you keep that light burning. And then you're watching and waiting for your master to stand at the door and knock. That phrase sounds really familiar. He stands at the door and knock. Because it's also in Revelation 3. The very last church addressed before Christ returns. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. I've heard lots of different presentations of that, but it sounds a whole lot like there's a master knocking on the door and we're his servants waiting or his slaves waiting for him. What's also fun is in Revelation 1. Do you know who the book of Revelation was written to? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show to his slaves the things that must soon take place. What's also great is those who read the word of Revelation are blessed. We are blessed slaves. So in summary, what does it look like to be a slave? You're actively waiting. You're clothed in righteousness, which means you're trustworthy. That you're filled with the Spirit. And that you watch for the Master's return. But here's the good news. What does the Master do? It's not our expectation that we put on the Master. God gives us fair warning. Do not be presumptive. Of the master. Lots and lots and lots of warning in scripture about the devastation that comes from that. But it says in Revelation that he will come in and you're going to eat together. Luke, in the parable we just read, it says he dresses himself for service. 
He has the slaves recline at the table. And he's going to come and serve him. That's our master. That's our king. That's our identity as Christians to be eager and out of love to serve the master. That's the king and the master I serve. Is that the king and the master that you serve? I'm going to close with this illustration. So can I get Austin to come up here, Luke here, Hannah next to Luke. All right, roll up your sleeves. Brace for it. This side, you. Listen to order, slave. Can we cut that out? Let's edit this. All right. Oftentimes we think, hmm, we think we're free. But the reality is, you're held captive by these sins that ensnare us. You think about those addictions to pornography, sin, gambling, alcohol language, whatever it may be. It's destroying you, but you think you're free. We're slaves to the law. <laughs> He's my oldest. I can do this to him. One more for good measure. <laughs> You're bound by this idea of good works, rules, your checklists. It's holding you captive. It doesn't work. <laughs> We're slaves to lies that tell us you're too little, you're too insignificant. It shames you, it accuses you, and it slows you down. And hold you captive. How many is that? Are you counting? No. Oh dear. This is how we start when we're slaves to sin. But Philippians 2 tells us this. Have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a slave, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and he gave him the name that is above every name. That name is greater than your addictions. That name is greater than the law and your checklist and your rules and perfectionism. And that name is greater than the lies that you believe that say you're insignificant and you're too tiny. And how does this change? How do we get out of these binds 
this duct tape that controls us. It says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is master, you'll be saved. He gives you a new heart so you can break the bonds of slavery to addictions. Oh, do it. It's on you. Good work. Breaks the bonds to the law. And he breaks those bonds to those lies that you believe. Good job. I'm going to end with this quote from Keller. He says, when someone says they reject Christianity because they want to be free, they are right in a very narrow sense. They are free from living in a way that will most satisfy and most fulfill them. In every other way, they're slaves. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for how you've set us free. We thank you that you purchased us, that you died on that cross for us, that you rescued us, that you delivered us, that you snatched us back and that we're yours. We know that we've been bought at a price and that you are God and that we are here to serve you. Lord, give us obedient hearts and a change of hearts. Take, take our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh so we have the power to break through the addictions and the law and these lies that we believe. May we enter into the reality of our relationship with you. Help us to trust you more and more so that we can live that out with great power and authority. Thank you that to you, we're worth it all. You're worth the whole, you think we're worth the whole estate. Thank you for rescuing us. Now as we, as your servants, may we pierce our ears to the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.